Welcome to the Life on Word, aka Life on Ward podcast. I am Ward Huey, and I am here to bring you conversations with people that are living out their passions. They are living life onward. Today's conversation is with my good friend, Sergi Kotrovsky. We recorded this live at Stogie Cigar Bar in St. Augustine, so there is some background noise from that. But I wanted to share about Sergi's life, his pursuit of passion, his loss and pain, and how he is resurrected from that. I have learned a lot from him, and I'm hoping you will as well. She hears it scared So I do belong So I do exist Alright, well here we are, the Life on Ward podcast. We are recording this at the upstairs of Stogie's Cigar Bar in St. Augustine. It's one of my favorite watering holes. I'm here with my good buddy. Uh, do you want to be Sergey or Sergi? <laughs> Uh, really matters. Do you want to be my mom or do you want to be my friend? <laughs> you told me Sir G when we first met. Yeah, that's usually what I go by. Okay, so it's me and my good buddy, Sir G. I, I just messed up. Kuchpa. No, Kuchrovsky. See, I know how to say it. I don't know why that happened. Uh, but we're sitting up here smoking some cigars. He's having a nice beer. I am off of alcohol right now. But... Anyways, you may hear when you're listening to this a little bit of background noise because, like I said, we are upstairs at a cigar bar. Uh, but I wanted to bring Sergi on the podcast. He's got a really, really cool story. And uh, we're trying to talk with people that are passionate and I feel they are living their life onward, uh, living out those passions. He's definitely someone that comes to mind. So that's why I wanted to bring you on here. Yeah, did you know that you probably gave me one of the most, uh, I don't even know how to describe, but one of the most impactful um, compliments ever one time. You said you are a person that you see that actually lives life from the heart. So when I think of your podcast, is that that's kind of what it resembles and it, what it tries to communicate is talk with people who are living from the heart. I like that. I'm, I'm proud of myself for thinking of that, actually. <laughs> but I don't remember saying it, but you definitely are someone that lives from the heart. So uh, that's very, very true. And I'm probably going to steal that little snippet and a little <laughs> teaser at some point. <laughs> but you do. You definitely do. We're going to get into that as we go along here. But just to start off, uh, Sergi Kutrovsky, that's not a typical mm. American name. So... Uh, Let's go ahead and get into it. I know the answer to this, but where are you from? I'm from Estonia, which is a small country right north of Latvia. I was born on the border town, Narva. It borders literally, the city is split in half between Russia and the country of Estonia. But my background is not Estonian at all. Mm -hmm. I'm Russian. Parents are from Soviet Russia. Grandfather's Polish. My mom's side is gypsy so if i had to affiliate with one culture and raised as a i mean i would say i would raised as a russian gotcha gotcha okay and you came to america at what age i was two we our immigration process was complicated because mm -hmm. we were technically political refugees 
uh, fleeing Soviet Russia. So we had to go through a sponsorship program that kind of drag us around all of Europe. We lived in Austria where my little brother was born. Then we lived in um, Italy for a little bit. And then finally our sponsorship program came together and we got our visa to move to the United States. Okay. And that was shortly after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Gotcha. So you do, you don't, I'm guessing you don't remember much of over there. No, not living there. Um, right. I don't. I mean, you know, the stories are passed down and mm-hmm. you live them through your parents. Right. But basically, no, I don't remember. Gotcha. So you were two when y'all came to America. What was that like growing up here? Yeah. I mean, immigrants, you know, um, refugees. It's your stereotypical, like, you're in a country you don't know and I mean I could always see and experience the hardship that my parents have to experience with that just through them because that trying to raise a family in a country that you don't understand even though it's a dream come true right uh, it was very very difficult mm-hmm. and when y'all first came come correct me if I'm wrong you came to the east coast Correct. Lived in a um, small city outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in okay. Springfield. All right. Church basement. In Fun a times. Church basement. Church basement. Like the whole family or a bunch of families? or? Um, I don't remember. Okay. Exactly. I, I know we lived in the church basement for a while. We actually had a pretty big story mm-hmm. um, that the paper did, the, bo- the paper in Boston did about us. Um, okay. About moving and fleeing and being established in the United States. I mean, if you can imagine, um, it's kind of relevant to where we are now as a country. We were, uh, you know, fleeing a country that was considered the biggest enemy of the United States. Right. And trying to establish a livelihood as, you know, the enemy of the wow. state in a right. sense yeah so I could see maybe some people not being the biggest fans of your family in some way too or was it more they looked at you at your family as people that were leaving to not be the enemy um I I think it was I would say it would be a mixed bag mm-hmm. because you know some people uh, still the Red Scare and, right. you know, shortly post-Cold War, right. the fears of, you know, a Russian family living in the United States was... Right. Um, yeah, it, it was hard. I mean, I know my dad especially suffered a lot from culture shock and not feeling embraced by the mm-hmm. American culture. To right. this day, he's still dealing with it, I would say. Right. Okay. And so you were there for a little while. Um, anything really key or was it shortly after that that you went on to the west coast yeah it was a very short time Mm -hmm. and because one of the major reasons that caused my parents to move was the fact that there was a big russian community on the west coast um, especially in the um, slavic evangelical circle Um, people were moving from south of uh, in argentina up to the northwest united states and washington state and um, at that point there was a big church plant that my parents joined yeah gotcha and that's obviously that's definitely going to be a part of this whole conversation uh faith is definitely something that because i know you i know is a big part of your life um but i growing up in america i have no clue what your type of faith culture was like so what was tell us what was that growing up 
Wow, that's a loaded question I'm because sure. yeah, as best you can. Yeah, there's um, a lot of aspects to it because uh, faith was a real thing. It wasn't just um, a religion. It was a way of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for my parents, the idea that you know God sent us to the United States okay. was kind of the underlining. Um, just the lining of how we lived and saw everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in the United States because we believe that God said, like, USA is blessed and he wanted us to be here so that we could be blessed in that yeah, sense. Sure. Um, but a lot of it also was very uh, legalistic in the sense of, like, very black and white, like, right and wrong. And a lot of the teaching and the core mm-hmm. theology that we were raised at had a lot to do with like fear-based gotcha. theology, okay. you know, and I, I don't blame that. Also, you're mo- we came from a very oppressed culture right. and oppressed time in history. So um, a lot of theology was defined by the culture as it is in the West now, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I guess there's pros and cons to that, too, because for my parents, uh, moving to a new country not being able to connect with the culture, but also um, practically not being able to speak the language. Right. Um, a lot of the conversation was around dependence on God and trusting that God will make a way, God will provide, God will support. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the idea that you know you need to be obedient to what God says in his word, and that is relating to scripture. Gotcha. And just real quick, so I'm guessing you were not raised as a Southern Baptist, obviously. What um, what religious, um, was it Russian Orthodox, that, or what was it that your family... Uh, it's hard to define because mm-hmm. basically in the culture I grew up in, there was two major denomination, denominations. People who were considered Pentecostal, meaning right. they believed in the gift of tongues, or uh, just the charismatic giftings, mm-hmm. and people who didn't believe or were cessationalists who d- believed that the gifts have ceased um, were Baptists. Gotcha. So, which I later down the road, which we'll talk about, I realize mm-hmm. that those are not the two only denominations of Christianity. Right. But growing up, that is what you knew. Right. That that's all I knew is like mm-hmm. you either believed in the giftings of the Spirit or you didn't. didn't. Right. So. You were in Washington State, correct? Correct. Growing up. So what was that like growing up there? Uh, obviously, you are just that young age, you know, learning what it is to be an American. Your parents are dealing with it, obviously. Uh, the culture you grew up in, was it kind of just flung into a lot of American? Or did you, were there a lot of other uh, refugees, I guess you could say? Or Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, my high school was actually 10% Slavic, meaning not only Russians, but Ukrainians, um, Romanians, so different type of uh, Slavic-speaking groups of people. And uh, yeah, I would say there was a lot of, in a sense, separatism, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we are not American kind of thing. Like, you know, all the Slavic people sat at one table in the dining hall in high school. So there's that. And all the Slavic people were friends with the Slavic people. Um, So the mentality was still very, like, us versus them. Mm -hmm. Um, Their Americans were Russians. Gotcha. So that that was kind of a big, you know, part of my life, being raised, feeling like you live in a country that you believe is your country, yet 
uh, majority of the culture that you're connected with does not feel, quote unquote, at home. Right. Right. So, yeah, a lot of you were going through that together, I guess, and say, would you say that was a good thing that there was a lot of you going through that together or did it just with that us versus them? Yeah, definitely. That's the pros and cons of community. You know, it it can be very um, close offish where you see like a lot of cultish stuff happen in communities that are, uh, you know, that are, I guess, connected over a certain idea or a belief Mm -hmm. or even a culture where they separate themselves from another culture and create a bubble. Um, So I saw a lot of that. But then also the beauty of that is that we didn't feel like we had to go through the hardships by ourselves. Right. You know, especially at that point when growing up, not a lot of families spoke English. Right. You know, so that's all we had. We had people we could relate with culturally, but also we could speak our language together Mm -hmm. and we could connect together over even food and traditions and all of that. So community definitely helped the transitioning part. Now, the hard part is if it only stays there and it becomes too, like, inbred in a sense, if Mm -hmm. that's the right term, and it doesn't grow into, like, accepting others and... uh, having an open mind and believing that America is my country, right. you know, is my home. I am an American. Right. Gotcha. Uh, so just real quick, how did you learn English? Yeah, I <laughs> learned English through ESL, you know, yeah. elementary school, uh, kindergarten through fourth grade, took mm-hmm. ESL, did very well, excelled, uh, read the fastest in my class, uh, nice. picked up the English language really, really quick, and graduated from ESL, like top of the class, probably um, the best out of all of my, um, you know, peers, right. Russian-speaking peers. Yeah. So I did really well le- mm-hmm. learning English. A lot of people still say I don't have an accent. I mean, I sometimes hear it, but... It depends on what we're talking about. I hear it sometimes, but not that much. Right. You know? Um, certain things when you're discussing, especially when you're talking about your family and stuff, I think sometimes maybe it comes out, but you're probably just saying it the way it's meant to be said. Right. Also, um, I'm from the West Coast. True. Northwest. Right. So that's different than what I'm used to here in Florida. Right. All right. So, so you're living in the West Coast. You're in this kind of culture shock community. Um Growing up, I don't want to speed through anything, but also I want to get, you know, to letting people hear more about these passions that I know you live out. So, is any key points like growing up, middle, or high school that you feel need to be touched on? Uh, I would say during high school is when I started picking up photography um, and just fashion and stuff like that. Like I love kind of the arts and creative mm-hmm. community of it my high school didn't really have much of that and okay. um once again being uh, from a different culture it's hard to connect with uh, even stuff like music mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i grew up listening to russian music all the time i mean my transition into uh like rock because rock wasn't really popular in right. the russian culture was like you know trapped uh nickelback mm-hmm. <laughs> awful stuff you know stuff that i don't really you like talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> but then i listened to the killers and okay. that started changing things for okay. me and this was um, all like college for me <laughs> okay this was <laughs> a I little bit i was a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. junior you know um so a, a lot of that 
started bringing stuff up that I became really passionate about was like right. the arts, um, yes. yeah. especially photography. My dad was a photographer okay. in Estonia. Um, he shot 35 millimeter film and I was always fascinated with his Kiev okay. film camera. I um, loved to shoot with that thing. And then he got me a little Pentax, mm-hmm. started shooting with the Pentax, fell in love with it even more and started developing film like, you know, at Costco. Right. Um, but he always taught, uh, taught me and told me about um, different aspects of photography, like how he used to, you know, develop his own film in a dark room. And that gotcha. just got me so pumped. I'm like, right. dad, we got to build a dark room. Never okay. did. But so. I got my first SLR camera because gotcha. of that. Okay. Yeah. Because I would say, and not for, don't, I'll foreshadow a little, don't want to jump too far ahead, but you're definitely someone I consider amongst many things to be a visual artist. Absolutely. So that started for you kind of from your dad and growing yeah. up. Okay. That's cool. All right, so then, as you mentioned, faith is very important. You're go, you're growing up, um, and I've talked with you some. I know as you were getting older, you know, getting done with high school, um, did you have an idea what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah, I always wanted to be a photojournalist. Okay, that was what I loved and was passionate. I was passionate about journalism because I read an article on yellow journalism. And it, um, it triggered something in me where I'm like, man, why do people have to exaggerate on, like, in writing especially? This this was basically at the beginning of blogging. Okay. Um, so, real quick, yellow journalism. I don't know what the hell that is. What is yellow journalism? Well, according to what I believe the definition of that is, is mm-hmm. when people use journalism to exaggerate a point. Okay. It can be good, but it also can be really deceiving. Okay. Um... I believe, like, the whole fake news stuff that was going around recently in the last few years is um, a version of yellow journalism. Gotcha. So it's where truth can be exaggerated and used to deceive people, but then also it draws and makes a point. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So you were kind of not a fan of that? Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, it just bothered me because I'm like, why are people lying? Like, you know, people are listening and reading and, you Mm -hmm. know, watching TV. And why would people lie? Like, I had almost like a trust connection with journalists. So I believed what was going on in the news, what I read in books. And if people were lying, I'm like, how could you trust that? You know, in photography, it felt like for me was a way that... A picture, like, you know, the cliche term, a picture is like a thousand words or a million words, however you want to put it. But that idea that if you see a picture, you can um, communicate so much more than what words can. And it tends to be true because that was really before um, Photoshop being a big deal and people using Photoshop to deceive. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So that was a passion of yours. You're getting out of high school. Did you pursue that? Uh, No, I didn't because... My dad and, I don't know, I don't want to sound very derogatory, but my dad's uh, phrase and you know comment one time was, if you want to be a successful photographer, you have to sleep around with enough people to make enough money. Oh, so wow. it was basically like, you will never make money the right or righteous way. You'll always um, be kind of like a scumbag in gotcha. a sense, like not a good human being if you wanted to make money with... Uh, gotcha. The arts in general. Okay. Yeah. So he thought artists were just, uh, I guess you could say, sinful. 
sinful. Yeah, I guess to go on kind of like term. the. I'm just kind of pulling from maybe you know like you grew up in this very religious, so obviously that type of lifestyle would go against that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So what did you do? Um, well, graduated high school, uh, just got a job with a friend, a family friend who owned a business, um, okay. ran an eBay store for him, um, got pretty successful doing an eBay store, and then considered going to college, really wanted to go to college. That was a desire mm-hmm. of mine. Um, my dad wanted me to go to Fresno Pacific uh, and to study law. I don't even know if they have a good law school, but there was an option for that. He wanted me to become a lawyer. Uh, so I started researching that, uh, you know, career path, and it looked very dead end to me, especially north of Seattle. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much going on with law, and I just didn't see a promising future. So my mom said the other option is the medical field, and they were like, you either become a lawyer or a doctor. Gotcha. Um, so okay. I went um, to school to become a flight nurse. And that worked. I was really, really good at it. I was going to school. I started doing clinicals. Um, and I thought nursing was going to be my career. Okay. And um, again, going back to the whole like faith being a, such a big part of your family and your culture, um, where was faith during all of this for yeah. you? Um, during my college years, mm-hmm. I was so focused on making a lot of money and having enough things because especially in the... Um, culture that I was raised like uh, value was found in things okay um, so I would say a lot of materialism was present and I think that's also a leftover of um, uh, being an immigrant you know mm-hmm. you never have enough so if you have these expensive things then you feel like satisfaction from it so I started making a lot of money started working a lot and kind of faith was put on the back burner I still went to church yeah I tried to fill in as much as I could but it was one of those things like I had to clock in and clock out for church um so to use you know the very western idea of a relationship with God um I would say I had I had no connection or personal relationship with God. Like, I obviously believed it felt like I was, in a sense, connected to him. He was somewhere, but I never felt the nearness of God, Right. if you want to put it that way. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So you're making a lot of money. You're getting these things, maybe kind of the American dream in a way you could say. And because I know you, I know that something changed. Right. So am I getting ahead? Am no, I you're okay. totally fine. So um, as I'm working this nursing job, I met this girl and started pursuing her in a relationship. And she was actually a missionary with a uh, the biggest missions organization in the United States called Youth with a Mission. And um, she introduced me to a God that was so near that it freaked me out. Okay. Um, that she would talk about God as if he was standing next to us. And it kind of made me very uncomfortable. But uh, it made me uncomfortable in a good way because I started to think, like, if she knows a God that is that near, then what God or who's the God that I know? Okay. Um, So it pushed me into um, this place of pursuing to know God on a much more intimate level, which was very scary because I didn't have no theology to back that idea, Mm -hmm. you know, or that understanding of God. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so... Through a girl you were pursuing, through a lady, lady. through a young lady young you were pursuing. Lady. Let's be. She told. was older than me. Oh, <laughs> older than you. Through, uh, you were introduced to you to not only uh, a more intimate, a more um, relationship God, um, but 
Would you say a more loving God? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Grace was her big word, and that gotcha. word made me so uncomfortable because in the Russian culture, um, mercy was used more prominently than the word grace. So I couldn't um, comprehend the idea of grace without thinking about mercy. And, okay. But I started to understand that they weren't the same thing. Gotcha. Um, and she learned a lot of that from doing a discipleship training school in Youth with a Mission. Right. Um, the idea of a loving God, um, the theology of grace. Gotcha. So she introduced you to this God and the relationship with a God that you did not really know before. And she introduced you to Youth with a Mission, which, as uh, many people know it, as YWAM. Correct. Okay, so so yeah. entered into a new season for you, you could say. Definitely, yeah. I um, I realized that I could do a mission school and get away from home. And at that point, you know, not un- knowing how to hear God's voice, you know, like mm-hmm. everybody talks about, I just felt in my heart that this was a reset button. Gotcha. Um, I had no idea what that would look like, but I knew... I needed to pursue this and see what could God do with my life. And is that even possible? Like, could I come into this close contact with God where I know him on a personal level? Right. So and I set out to go to Nashville, Tennessee okay. um, to join Youth with a Mission in Nashville and to actually um, do a discipleship training school. But the catch was, uh, I won't get into detail on how I chose that, but uh, Youth with a Mission Nashville had a soccer track. And okay. I was an athlete. I played soccer. I um, managed soccer teams. I, I loved soccer. So I thought to myself, you know, if this all, if this God thing crashes, if this is all a mess, at least I'll have soccer. Right. And I got to travel, you know, overseas to play soccer. Right. Why not? All right. So just quick time out. How old were you when you were pursuing her and then went to Nashville? 20. 20. 20. That seems to me so young. Yeah. You know, like, d- I mean, to me, that's a young age for all of this to happen yeah. in someone's life. So, 20 years old, are you and her at this point, like, pursuing each other? Yeah, we, we definitely were a, okay. in a dating relationship. Gotcha. And I, you know, we, we just pursued each other, you know, right. you know, your stereotypical dating couple and she's like hey you should look into those jesus missions gotcha so So. you 20 years old you moved to nashville with a a fallback plan of soccer 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 football football (laughs) all right so you moved to nashville to become more involved with ywam playing soccer so and you start going into the mission field basically correct the discipleship training school was such a life-changing experience for me because what it did is it kind of deconstructed a lot of stuff but it also helped me reconstruct my faith with a god who um, actually wanted me instead Mm -hmm. of a god who i had to like pursue so that he will want me it started everything with this idea like you know god's grace for you is here and it's now um so therefore believe it and live like it you right. know it was pretty basic there wasn't i wouldn't say it was anything complex but the simplicity of the gospel is what really tore me up because i would always complicate things and you know overthink things and try to make things harder on myself because that was kind of the theology i was raised under gotcha all right, so you're in a relationship, you're learning all of this. Is visual art playing in at this point, any? 
at this point, a lot of it, I, I mean, I brought my DSLR to right. my discipleship training school. I was still taking photos, mm-hmm. did a, some photos, you know, for the school that I was part of. Actually, um, some of the material I shot in Argentina was used in like promotional material and cards, you know, and advertisement mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it was okay, definitely cool. a big part of it. Yeah, I shot a lot in Argentina. I That's loved awesome. Argentina and shot a lot. Okay, so you you're traveling at this time how many and if you can't think of it off the top of your head that's fine but roughly how many countries would you say you went to during this time during that time i only went actually to one country okay just to argentina it was argentina okay. but i went to different parts i went to mendoza mm-hmm. which is um basically up in the mountains wine country and then i stayed in um, like the capital in Buenos Aires. Okay. And it's literally uh, in downtown Buenos Aires. It was amazing. I want to go there so bad. Yeah. So bad. So good. Okay. So you're you're a missionary now. Yeah. Um, still around 20 or? Yeah, 20 years old. Um, it wow. was a six-month school, and okay. I went into the school like a month after my birthday. Okay. Two months after my birthday. So gotcha. Still 20. Um did the school, uh, graduated the school and applied for a secondary school, which is a ministry development school okay. and, um, went literally came home, raised enough money, saved enough money to pay for the lecture phase of the school and dove back in. And basically, um, since the time of my discipleship training school, I never really left youth with a mission. Okay. I just went home to raise finances. And what, what was it that drew you? Obviously, it's obviously at this point, it's not just the girl you're pursuing. There's more to this. We actually broke up. So, obviously, <laughs> obviously yeah. it was not just the girl you were pursuing because you did not continue to pursue each other. So, yeah. what was it about this life being a, this missional life um, that drew you in? So, honestly, it was just how radical it was. It was mm-hmm. so countercultural. It was like, sell all your things and follow Jesus. <laughs> um, and that really intrigued me because there was a sense of freedom where you let everything go and you pursue what you believe in the very depth and core of your very being. Yeah. Um, so I knew that, man, like I want to live like we were talking about in the beginning. I want to live out of my heart. I don't want to live out of this idea and like pursuit of things, but I just want to live free and just pursue God in a much more um, now I would say mystical in a mystical way mm-hmm. where it's this relationship with a God who is so mysterious, but you really can sense him. Right. You know, so letting go of a good job, a career, all of that seemed like I was you know, letting go of worthless, worthless things for something that, you know, is doesn't have a price tag, you know. So that was a big deal. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, um, I'm never coming home and I'm doing this for the rest of my life. <laughs> how, yeah, how did the family take this? Not well. Uh, yeah. Not at all. Actually, my parents didn't want me to be a missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the sense that they didn't believe in missions, but they also, they basically didn't believe that that's something I would choose like they were like right. no like, what's the catch like um but also because of the difference in theology it was hard for them to accept um what i've shared with you know even our friend rob and um, we talked about this but the idea that there's like this american western christianity and my parents would always relate it to like you know you sin throughout the week and go repent on sunday and you're good to go it's kind of like this like cheap grace like sleazy gotcha. like 
God is real, but you know who cares how you obey Him type of thing. So they were afraid of that, okay. basically. Parents weren't really for it. You're in my mind. You're young. You're still very young, and you're doing. You're pursuing this, so you're going against parent wishes to f- follow this passion of being this missionary. Uh, still doing the visual stuff. You've been to Argentina. You came back. You um, raised the money. Went right back out again. Did you go back to Argentina again or somewhere else? No, I first uh, obviously went back to Nashville, um, right. where I did the lecture phase of the secondary school. Mm-hmm where it was all about um, leadership development and creating your own ministry. And um, that's where a lot of my, like, just passion for coffee started coming back. And I grew up in coffee country, you know, north of Seattle, Bellingham, Seattle area. Coffee was... So here we are. We're foreshadowing uh, your visual artist. Uh, You've talked about community enough now. It's obvious you're a community person. You are a missionary. You have an on-fire faith. And you love coffee. Yes, sir. So how did that... How You said it happened then. So what was that? What was that spark? Yeah, I've always saw how coffee brings people together. It seems Mm -hmm. to be the safe third place at that point. I mean, I wasn't drinking any alcohol or smoking cigars right? (laughs) you know what I mean yeah so what brought me to like I would go to Starbucks and just run into some of the best people ever and you know what I mean it was like a friendship based around this third place a safe third place where Mm -hmm. if people saw me drinking a cup of coffee no one would judge me right you know so it was a safe place so the coffee culture the coffee shop culture was just a safe place where you could um, share life with people and um, make friends. You know, it was basically that was the draw. So with um, studying missions and studying um, just theology, I was like, man, what better place is there to share your faith, but also to be able to encounter people that you would not normally encounter, you right. know, in this like third place, the coffee shop. Gotcha. So my goal was to, I started building a plan to buy my own coffee shop in Tennessee. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And um, did that happen? It did not. Okay. Um, so why? Because I, at that point, I was already um, joining some of the leadership with uh, YWAM Nashville. I'm starting to uh, help lead schools and different training schools, you know, mission schools right. and leadership you schools. You were becoming a leader, yeah. coming into a leadership role. Yeah, and one of the projects arose was to help re-pioneer a uh, missions location in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. So, and that's that's what kind of paused all my coffee dreams to buy the coffee shop in Nashville. Right. Um, and to move to Jacksonville, Florida and do this for the time being. So basically... I put my coffee dreams on hold. Okay. Never left. It was just right. on hold. Mm-hmm. So you moved to Jacksonville to help start, you said, to relaunch? Relaunch. What you what they call a YWAM base, right? Correct. Okay. So you moved to Jacksonville, and what was that like? What happened? Um, well, at that point, um, Youth with a Mission Jacksonville had a cafe. So one of the big things was they knew that I had a passion for starting a coffee shop and using coffee shop um, in a way to do ministry and to bring people in. So they said, hey, if you move here, 
um, we'll give you the opportunity to run your own cafe. Gotcha. So that that was the biggest incentive for me. It was like, man, I'm going to move there and I'm going to pursue coffee in Jacksonville. Right. Now, um, was there a relationship at this point also or did that not happen yet? Am I yeah. Ahead? And actually, no, at this point I was, um, I was married. Okay. Um, and I was actually with who I'm not married to well, we're right getting ahead now. Of yourself. You're getting I know, ahead of but, um, um, so you, and you, cause I have some knowledge inside scoop. Here. <laughs> uh, you were married to someone who was also part of YWAM. Correct. Yeah. We met in our discipleship school. Gotcha. How long had you been married when you're when the when you moved with the team to Jacksonville? Two years. Okay, so you had already been married. So you got married at what age? I was 21. I was 21. Right. Yeah. Okay, so again, young and in, in my, I am now 36 and still single <laughs> um, brain. Gotcha. So 22, married, but you're, you're in a new city and you're living out the coffee passion. And there's still visual art, I'm guessing, to some degree. Yeah, I'm still doing a lot of photography. I'm mm-hmm. actually shooting videos for promotional material for um, just Youth with a Mission. Right. And I'm doing a lot of um, of the recruiting, you mm-hmm. know, uh, quote-unquote social mar- social media marketing. Um, that's what I did a lot. I right. got into Final Cut Pro mm-hmm. at that point because there was no uh, media director. So I started doing that. I think that was around the time of Instagram. Okay. Um, so, so Instagram was very new at that point. Okay. So YWAM was letting you live from the heart to keep going with that phrase. Absolutely. It, because of all these passions centered in this faith, uh, you were able to be a missionary and pursue the coffee pursue the visual art, all of that while working with these people. So YWAM let you live yeah. your heart. That's the beauty of Youth with a Mission. Uh, it allows you to basically pursue whatever you sense God is calling you to do. Gotcha. Um, so it's very open. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I love one of their slogans is we believe in championing young people. Gotcha. So basically in early 20s, you can be leading teams overseas. Right. You know, there's beauty in that, but there also is a lot of danger in that. Right. Gotcha. It's kind of, tri- I'm guessing trial by fire in a way. You're like, you in a way, a lot. Yeah. You'll learn on the spot. Gotcha. You know? okay. What do you do when you have a team of people in Indonesia and you don't know right. if you can feed them? <laughs> you figure things out. Right. Right. And at this point, you and uh, your wife, you were kind of, you were a team, right? You raised money together to support uh, your missionary works and being part of YWAM. Right. So you're doing all of this in Jacksonville and... And after a few years of leadership, um, I basically started um, writing curriculums for discipleship training schools, um, for leadership schools, and um, basically my focus was um, leading young people um, through training and then sending them out overseas. Right. Um, so one uh, one of those schools was actually a life changing school because I met um, three of my closest friends to this day. Um, I've known them forever. I mean, I feel like forever. I'm my best friend, Taylor, who lives overseas right now in Indonesia. I'm, who I'm talking with about being on the podcast. We may have to do it like abroad, like remote, but we're working on it. Yeah. And, you know, he's also, I believe, leave, living out of his heart and sure. pursuing um, coffee and just, you know, um, now farming coffee in Indonesia, which he has a big focus on. 
you know, bringing community together, like everything right. we talked about. Like right. he's just killing it out there and just loving on people in gotcha. the most genuine way. So during that time is when I met him and we started working together. I started creating basically a core team in discipling young people and sending them out right. to go and pursue whatever that meant, whether it was, you know, to the Middle East or back home, mm-hmm. wherever okay. they lived in. Okay. And where do we go from there? So as uh, that began to grow, um, uh, a lot of things in my life started to change. And I knew that that point, like the Youth With a Mission Jacksonville base was outgrowing and that my time has come to an end. Like what I came there for was to help re-pioneer. It was re-pioneered. Right. Um, I came there, it was what, 20 staff? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I don't want someone to go and source my numbers, but I'm just remembering about 20 staff and mm-hmm. left and there's about 70. Gotcha. So right. the job was done. Right. If you see what I mean. You, you did. Know. You felt that you had done what you were had come there to do. Correct. Gotcha. OK. And, and that's when the vision for Youth with a Mission in St. Augustine. Um, yeah. And um, actually just. I would say my spiritual father, a guy who really invested into my life, um, approached me with the idea. He was living in Washington State at that point. And he's like, hey, remember that one time we visited St. Augustine? And we really saw the possibility of youth with a mission just flourishing there. And um, he kind of dropped the seed in, into my heart. And I was like, you know what? Um, things are changing up. Like, St. Augustine is not far from Jack's. Like, let's see what can happen with this. Um, so I started pursuing that and that was a very big leadership moment for me because Mm -hmm. we're starting something from scratch right and it was a smaller team too Mm -hmm. right so you your wife and the gentleman you're speaking of that kind of first had the vision i guess you could say correct and brought it to you okay so you make that decision okay we are going to start we're going to just go a little bit south down the road and Mm -hmm. start in the nation's oldest city and that's how and that's how we met. But um, just tell me, you know, I don't want to get ahead. This yeah. is your story. So you, you came to St. Augustine. Yeah, I came to St. Augustine um, and started uh, just pursuing relationships with people in the local church. Right. And that was basically all I did is just um, try to contact as many pastors, uh, as many faith leaders. I started going to. You know, um, prayer gatherings, um, uh, different visiting different churches, trying to get plugged into a church. Um, that's how you and I met. Right. Um, and then um, basically part of, as that started um, to happen, as we started um, creating friends, I also took up the position of um, being a traveling recruiter for YWAM. Mm-hmm. And I started speaking. My speaking ministry like tripled at one point. I, w- I had 12 speaking engagements in 14 days in six different states. So it got really, really busy. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time on stage um, speaking. And then at the same time, you know, documenting and presenting all of this in social media, creating videos, right. creating content, and doing a, a lot of that stuff. Like basically, you know, what you would call as a social media marketer right. and recruiter. Right. And during this time, I remember, you know, you still talked about the coffee a lot. Obviously, I was getting to know you as you were doing this. So I knew you as someone that obviously was speaking a ton, you know? Um, and, uh, so you were going and doing that. I knew you were creating a lot of the online content and so forth. So the visual artist was still there. Uh, you talked about coffee, uh, but was it kind of on the back burner 
in this season or uh, professionally yes right. but like personally no because right. I I would travel with a V60 uh, pour over set uh, with a scale with a kettle um, which everything. I learned what that was from you in the last <laughs> I'd awesome. say year and a half yeah, so basically, like, I would, every single time we'd stop in a new city, I'd try to check out, is there a coffee roasting company where I can get some right. fresh beans? Um, so I I still love coffee, and, like, my um, passion for coffee just continued to increase. I started asking a lot of questions in different coffee shops, and, and I think that was the advantage of doing missions, is I got to go to so many places, and every single place, even going to Indonesia, which was right. when I lived in Jacksonville, I started going to Indonesia. Right. Um, going to Indonesia and experiencing their coffee scene there, drinking the most, uh, what people would call like, expensive cup of coffee, was a civet eats the coffee, it processes it in its stomach, and then it releases the coffee, and you... It poops coffee beans, uh, let's Basically, be let's be uh, honest, it yeah. It poops <laughs> coffee beans, and then they harvest those beans from its poop. Yeah, clean it, and, they, and they it's clean a wash, it, yeah, right. and then they make coffee. Um, okay. I've heard of this. I have not tried it. I've heard of it. All right. So you are still you're ga- you're garnering. Is that the right word? Am I saying that right? I guess. I guess. What does garnering mean? I think that means to like gather a lot to of gather, knowledge. Yeah, to, yeah. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna check that. I'm gonna check a dictionary <laughs> later, and I may edit that part out um, if I'm way wrong. So you're learning all this while you're living out all these passions, doing all these things. Um, you were you and your wife, you were living here. We became very, very close. You were my surf buddy, basically. Uh, and then something started to change again. You you know, there's lots of twists in your story. Like, yeah. All around the same thing, but just little, like, de- not detours, because you were going in the right direction, whether you knew it at the time or not. Yeah. So... So you were in St. Augustine how long? Um, in total, I would say even before the like founding of Wyoming St. Augustine, I've combined all that time, almost two years. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. And dur- during that time, I would say, especially in a transition time, I started listening, you know, to a lot of podcasts. What yes, you did. Good old BC Pod, you know. That's bad Christian podcast for anyone That's that does right. not know. Um, oh. Ran into good buddy boy Michael Gunger um, mm-hmm. and Science Mike, Mike McCarg, and all of the dudes. I read uh, Rachel Held Evans' book, um, Searching for Sunday, and even me, like, dropping all those names can probably, if you've known those names, heard those voices, you can probably guess what was happening in my mind. Um, a lot of change in deconstruction. You I know, just call it reconstruction. Reconstru- well, call deconstruction it, has to happen in order to, to happen reconstruct. To reconstruct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? All right. So, right, which is a big deal. So this is going on while you're in St. Augustine. In in St. Augustine slash a little bit before mm-hmm. in the transition of moving to St. Augustine. Right. Gotcha. So leading into the next step, which obviously I know what that is, but uh, at some point, St. Augustine for you was coming to an end. Why was that? And that was because I saw uh, some of the, you know, downfalls of the institutionalized idea of ministry where ministry was uh, based around a program or some kind of... um, 
formula or like a formulaic way to create disciples. Gotcha. Um, uh, the idea of organic ministry was kind of um, stripped away in my heart, even personally. I just saw that I was doing things on repeat because I believed these things worked. There was a routine. Um, there was a structure. There was this plan. Make this happen. Make this person experience this kind of checkoffs. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so, and I also started like seeing that I was living in a bubble. You know, everything I believed, everything I did was circled around the same people, people who believed the same thing, who did the same thing. You could drink, but you could not smoke cigars. Hey, I remember that. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. forgot and about I don't that. I talk bad about the YWAM base that was here. It's, <laughs> is it, it's not anymore, uh, is it? They're still doing work. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah. But anyways, um, you know, obviously we're smoking cigars right now at a cigar <laughs> bar while we're recording this. So, so you became friends with me and a group called the Kooks. Yeah, I think I needed to light my cigar again. Light your cigar, buddy. Oh. And so that was one of the things. Um, hanging out with us in some way was rebelling. That That's my word, not yours. You know, but you were hanging out with us and we I, smoked cigars and... You know, I would sneak in a clove here and there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I would say the kooks really brought a community of people into my life that weren't afraid to ask the hard questions or to even challenge the status quo Western evangelical Christianity. Right. Uh, and a lot of that actually helped my reconstruction because the, the gathering that you created was so diverse. I mean, we had everybody from different strands of faith, but also different strands of Christianity and we were able to sit around coffee, beer, cigars, and talk faith or just talk life. Right. Like there was no agenda. Right. Um, so it gave me hope that this is possible. And like there was, in a sense, like YWAM wasn't the all in and all to everything. Like right. God was doing and moving th- and doing like things that were not circled around my bubble. Gotcha. Okay. And I know that led you to having some new ideas of what ministry was going to look like for you. Right. So basically what I saw happening was I was questioning um, the even the success rate of YWAM. Mm-hmm. And that's, I even hate saying that, but the idea that, you know, how many people you disciple stay as believers and uh, or go into missions. And I saw that those numbers weren't very... Um, healthy or accurate in mm-hmm. just my experience. So I was like, man, like there's got to be more, but I still believed in quote unquote anointing of YWAM. Right. So I was just like, how do we take this outside of the walls of a base? You know, how do we see disciples and people be um, discipled in the way of Jesus, but not circled around a program? Right. So that's kind of what led me to, pursue a different um, stream of ministry and the less institutional institutionalized way of ministry and that's what led me back to move to Jacksonville right so you and your wife decided to move back to Jacksonville correct at the time you were really thinking coffee again am right I correct that, that I knew right. that coffee was the answer to mm-hmm. what I wanted to do but also um, the avenue to like create a creative expression um, right. For me, okay. like that was the way. And that so that happened summertime. We were arguing about this earlier. I said 2016. You said 2015. It's your life. You're probably right. <laughs> uh, 
So yeah. around that time, uh, you and your wife, you decided to move back to Jacksonville to pursue this uh, kind of doing YWAM outside of the base. Right. And? And moved to Jacksonville, and within four weeks of moving back, uh, my wife decided uh, to file for divorce. Uh, and that caught me off guard. Um, that was a rough period of time. Uh, and I, I just didn't know how to deal with that because I had dreams and hopes. And I was um, just hoping to see like success in ministry and growth in ministry. And right. then one and of you, the greatest taboo things happens is you know, your wife leaves, leaves you. you. Yeah. Right. And you were looking at, if I'm correct me again, if I'm wrong, but you saw this idea as both of yours right absolutely i was absolutely as both i mean mm-hmm. definitely i was more passionate about coffee um definitely that was my thing right but obviously know? she was passionate enough about ywam that she was involved in it too absolutely um, yeah right so big wrench in everything uh she files for divorce tells you you know the marriage is over uh we don't have to get into all of the details, you know. You wrote about it. I did write it was about a, it. Your most read post at that it point. was. <laughs> Unfortunately, that blog, This I do have a blog, lifeonward.co, but it's all new stuff right now. So that, I do not believe I have access to that anymore, unfortunately. That was the first time I went public with a divorce. This is true. And it, it blew up. Like, everybody read your article, and I was getting flooded with mail, and people were like, what happened? Mm. But one of the things that happens with this is divorce is not looked too highly on in missionary field, in the church field. Uh, so how did that affect your support from YRAM, which is greatly, you know, you have people basically financially support you. So how did this impact you and yeah. your plans? I lost 90% of my financial backing. So to do missions as an institution and as clergy, um, it was gone. Right. So, you know, looking through our conversation, in a way, that catapulted me to pursue what I all wanted to do you know what i mean it set me up to pursue ministry in a non-institutionalized way meaning you know money does a lot of or helps make a lot of decisions yes so when your money is gone you have to figure out also what are you going to do now Um, my faith my beliefs my passions haven't changed but how do i fulfill those passions without um the funding that i had before so it literally what it did is the blessing of Everything is that is stripped. The thing that was closest to my heart in decision making was like uh, financial funding. It pulled that away and said, "Well, go do it. How how would everybody else do it? Not everybody right. gets paid to be a Christian, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody is a professional Christian. So how can you go and be a Christian? What are you passionate about? Right. You know, it's, it put that into my heart and to say, you know, what, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be me." And I think that, that was one of the main things I wrote in that article, that, in that interview we did, right. or you wrote, that we talked about, was the idea that I had to turn around and look at myself and ask the hard questions and be like, is Sergi okay? What is Sergi passionate about? What right. does Sergi want to do? Mm-hmm. Who is he? You know, I had to reconstruct my personal identity. I had to reconstruct my social identity. 
I had to um, just take care of myself. So that that was a big that was a big deal for me. Right. And so you went through a time of healing, figuring all of this out while obviously going through the divorce, healing from the divorce. Um, like you said, it, it brought you back to what are you passionate about? What what does your heart call for? And that brought you again back to uh, people, uh, visual arts, coffee. Am I missing right. anything? No, those are fundamentally three most important things. Yeah. Right. So you basically ground zero back into that. So as you were healing but also getting to start from scratch back in those things. Uh, what was, what happened? Where did you go? I mean, mm-hmm. I know some of these, but tell us. Yeah, at that point, I was already a manager of a coffee shop. Right. But I think one of the most crucial things is um, my relationship with God deepened. Like, mm-hmm. I literally would wake up, go out to the beach, and just weep at the beauty of a sunrise. Because what I saw was I saw God in everything. Um, and the idea that I always had to seek for God, like, you know, either in prayer or in some kind of quote unquote spiritual, mm-hmm. um, practice, I started seeing God in the mundane and in the everyday. Right. Um, and that opened up the door to basically feeling like I can do anything and God is in it. Right. You know, it released my creative juices. It released, um, just everything I, like in me became free. Because I came down to the bare bones, the brokenness within me, and um, I started seeing the beauty that was outside. You know, I was surrounded by um, everything, and everything I saw was God. Right. And you saw that, because I think this is very important, uh, just to touch back on, you know, like divorce is so looked down upon in so many circles, and faith especially. You saw God still using me. God still loves me. God still wants these passions that he gave me to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of that has to do with the, you know, faith community that I was surrounded with. I had a lot of older people or elders, if you want to use that term, in my life who were people who listened, who knew me before, who knew me during the process, but who also saw the potential of my future and would always um, tell me like, Serge, your giftings and your calling is not void because this has happened to you. Right. Um, you are not less than, you are more than. I went through a year of counseling. Right. You know, and to- Which have, I recommend to everyone. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, honestly, sitting here and talking with you about it, like, I feel free to talk about it. Um, I don't feel any anger or bitterness. I literally feel like I'm a bigger and better human being now than I right. ever was. I feel healthier now spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally than I ever was, you know? Right. And I also feel more creatively enabled than I ever was. Like everything I'm doing um, uh, with coffee just feels so, and not easy is not the word, but Mm -hmm. it feels so liberating. Like it's a release. It's something that comes out of me. It's not something I work. It's something I release to do. Right. So let's get into that living out that heart. You've been released through a long process, a hard process, and you've Mm -hmm. come on the release from it. And you, these passions are growing and you're fully just like diving into them. You said you were managing a coffee shop. 
Mm-hmm. I know you also, uh, like you said, you have a faith community. You became very active at the church. You yeah. is that when you started doing a lot of visual stuff there? Um, at that point, yeah, my very very good bud Gerald uh, was a friend of mine. He knew me before, but we never became really close. Right. But during this time, he really saw what I was going through, and in a sense, he like welcomed me and embraced me as you know the body of Christ, and said, "Hey." I'm going to be with you through this hard time. And we really bonded. And um, he started just, he brought me on the creative team for the church. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a photographer before, so he knew that. We worked on some projects. And um, during this time, he really said, hey, you want to join the team and you want to be what we call an anchor of the church Mm -hmm. and to create visually. And we started just working on different projects. I started shooting for the church as well. So you got the visual artist and you as being, you're really honing into that more so um, in community, growing your faith, and you're working in coffee. So here are all your passions. Eventually, an even more uh, steps happen. Like to me to watch this, it's like, and again, I'm foreshadowing, but just some of the things that have happened over the last year or two is kind of, I'm guessing, you know, it was completely organic, but at the same time, it was. It just showed me the path you were on. Like you, you didn't have to get the job at the coffee shop. Obviously, all your work went into it. But then, from working there and getting in this church, then even more opportunity, more doors open, which never will open if you're not following your heart. What were those doors? Yeah, I, I think one of the major things that happened during that time was um, to pursue uh, coffee on a professional level. Right. Um, I went through um, some coffee training with the Specialty Coffee Association, um, started going to, in a sense, coffee school, um, did my introduction and intermediate barista school, um, which actually this is good timing because tomorrow I start barista professional. Woo! By the end of this week, I will most likely, if I pass all my finals, I will be a certified Specialty Coffee Association Barista Pro. And what does that mean, just real quick? Um, Basically, that means that not only I know how to pour one hell of a latte, Mm -hmm. but I also know what happens to the coffee when it's extracted. I also know what happens to the milk when it's um, being stretched and when um, milk heats up, like what's happening to the proteins, but also you take it down to the basics of what is happening to the coffee under pressure in espresso, what is happening to the coffee when it's being filtered um, in a pour over. Um, So basically all of the kind of the science and... um, the technical stuff of coffee from seed to cup is what right. I started to learn and I'm finishing up right now. Right. So that's an artistry in itself. Absolutely. That, that you are mastering. Yeah. Okay. So you went to that school and then, because I know this, you got a job basically running a coffee shop, correct? Yeah. Uh, as of now and currently, I and probably will continue run Social Grounds Coffee Mm -hmm. over in the Springfield, historic Springfield area of Jacksonville um, with probably one of the closest people in my life. Um, I say that a lot, but he's literally a guy I spend more time with than any other dude in my life. And Mm -hmm. his name is Jason Kellaway. An amazing man, like just 
such a good heart. Like from the day I met him, I really felt like a fatherly connection with him. Uh, um, I actually had to go head to head with him in my intermediate school and um, testing. Um, and that was before he was my boss. And that was literally my like interview process. And I could not be him. <laughs> and I failed. <laughs> and I cried. And he literally <laughs> acted like a father, just um, comforting me right there and said, Serge, you're one hell of a barista, man. Like That's awesome. Uh, yeah, you're going to do well. Okay. So you've been now at Social Grounds for how long? Um, actually, this week is one year. Awesome. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. So today, January 22nd, 2019, is one year that you've been at Social Grounds. Wow, time flies. Uh, but at the same time, it feels like you've been there so long. I know, yeah. From the get-go of me when I've gone there, it's obvious you were just immediately at, in your home, core part of that company. Yeah. So you so you're obviously living out the coffee dream. Yeah. Um, you have a amazing core. You're doing, again, everything that's in your heart. You're living your heart out, which is what this podcast is all about. Uh, so n- now, how do things look? What are what are the things you're doing? Other than obviously the coffee, what are the big things? I know what they are, but the big things in your life. Uh, um. I mean, this may be a good point to bring up uh, the most important person in my life right now being um, Deja, Mm -hmm. and um, just, uh, she's amazing. Um, I met met her. Give me that lighter. Yeah, I met her um, once again through YWAM, but also started connecting with her through coffee. She was a competitive barista. Um, graphic designer, a Flagler alumni, just so talented, um, just knows art. Uh, she blows me away daily with how like just talented right. she is in graphic design. And mm-hmm. um, so you so, met an artist, absolutely. former missionary, maybe still. I don't. I would say still, yeah. Okay, missionary, uh, visual artist, and coffee lover. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Compliment, complimentary, you could say. Yeah. All right. Um, so I would say like our outlook would be um, to continue to d- use um, art um, to influence um, culture, to influence the spheres of society, mm-hmm. um, and also to use coffee as a way to um, once again create that third place to build community, yeah. um, to grow uh, a community of faith. Whatever that looks like, I don't really like using the word church because that's been um, defined in so many different ways in the West, especially. But to create a community of faith and um, to lead a community of faith, but also to create some good art. You know what I mean? Like um, to just pioneer an art, um, to be able to just influence and encourage and inspire people through Art, whether it be graphic design, photography, latte art, you know what I mean? Through all of, all of those means of um, creativity. And I think that's for both of us, for both Deja and I, that really um, stems from this idea that um, we both believe that God is an artist. You know yes. what I mean? Like God creates. Right. Um, so when we create, we're actually reflecting the nature and character of God. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So, hey, go ahead. Uh, I was just sorry to cut you off there, but I'm going to cut you off there. Um, a way also I've seen that is over the last few months, you, there is an organization called Jax's Rad. So, it's kind of just showing the community of Jacksonville, and you have kind of become part of that team. 
Yeah. And so I've seen that as well. You did a you you shot a commercial. <laughs> yeah. The other day. You know? Right. So right. I mean, for me on the outside, I'm seeing you do all these things. And all these, again, another door where you, here you are in your community, you're connecting with all these people through coffee, and you're also doing this great visual art like that. You are literally, your heart is working with your city, with your church, you know, in all these facets. Yeah. You know, you know? And I think that, to me, just seeing that from the outside is really cool. Seeing all these doors that have opened that you are living out your heart in. Um so I know you have like plans and ideas for the future and everything. I don't know how much you want to get into that right now. Or is that a little yeah. more up in the air? Yeah. Right. I mean, I feel like a lot of it is definite, but I'm going to mm-hmm. let all you listeners um, right. go ahead and follow my life and see how it all plays out. But yeah, my plans would be um, to continue to pursue coffee um, in one way or another, but also to start a creative um, company. Um, with my little brother, um, yes, who's who an lives out west. He's an amazing content. Artist. Oh yeah, he's an amazing content creator, visual artist. Um, he works for a big coffee roasting company as well. Um, so I just want to see what is going to happen in the future with um, partnering with him and um, creating a company that would continue to do that is to show people how to live from the heart and to communicate stories about people's lives um, that are inspiring, um, but also that reveal good. Um, I think a lot, going back to the my passion and heart for journalism, a lot of the times journalism reveals what the problem is in the world, but I want to see stories and um, just a revelation of goodness in the world. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well think in a lot of ways that kind of sums it up uh your story is incredible and then you moved here a refugee which in our climate is a big term right now already uh you found god in a way you never knew before at i would still say a young age and you've experienced a lot and now here you are you've gone through some of the hardest things anyone would ever go through and now you are in a new relationship again uh, and you're pursuing all these passions uh, how is there anything because I know it's not easy uh, what is the core that helps you con- continue to live life onward in such a way I would say it, it's just to remember to live free like um I, I, this is this point in my life. I've never felt freer um, to pursue, just to pursue goodness, to pursue love. Um, you know, going through uh, tough seasons and going through pain. I think um, pain, in a way, refined me to love life more, gotcha. and um, to love harder, to love stronger, um, to not give up on your passions, to not give up on God, to see God in a way that is bigger than a, you know, a religion, um, to encounter God in a much, um, uh, deeper way, you know, w- that's within, within you, but also to be able to, um, just connect with people of all different walks and to embrace people from all different places. And I think I would say is I would encourage everyone just to live free, mm-hmm. you know? And for me, 
I have found freedom through the way of Jesus. He's really revealed a way to live free, you know, and I would, that, that's what I would say. I would, mm-hmm. I would basically close on that, live free, pursue your heart and believe in just the inherent goodness of man. Don't let right. um, just the negativity of the world cloud your vision, but believe in good. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I definitely, you definitely do that. Uh, and just real quick, because you can follow social grounds because that's where you are. Uh, so you can see all the great coffee you do. I see you post it and other people's work all the time. Uh, where can people find that? Um, yeah, you can find social grounds on Instagram with just a social grounds coffee company um, and follow them there. But also follow my personal Instagram account. It's gorgeous. Hey, <laughs> working on it. Um, it's just Sergi Katrovsky, which will probably be in the notes. Yes, Hopefully it'll be it's in a the hard notes. name to um, spell. Yeah, you'll be able to look that up. <laughs> yeah, um, just follow me and my journey there. And basically, Instagram is the way to go. I do have a Facebook and Twitter, but Instagram is definitely my favorite platform. Right. Social Grounds Coffee Company, Sergi Katrovsky. Look in the notes how to spell it. Uh, it's You show some pretty amazing stuff, that's for sure. All right. Um, yeah, man. Uh, again, just thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Got a lot of twists and turns and a lot of things have happened, but um, you definitely live life onward. You definitely live out your passions and your heart. And I believe everyone can learn from people like you. I know uh, my life, you know, I get I learn from you. So I just uh, thank you for sharing Uh, again. Everyone check them out. Follow what he is doing. Um, follow as um, he and Deja continue their story of what is coming next. Uh, and uh, continue to follow us here. As I'll try to have more people like my good friend Sergi here come on so we can all learn from each other. Scoop. Well, thank you. Huge thanks again to my buddy Sergi Kutrovsky for coming and sharing that story with myself and you, the listeners. It has been amazing to get to know him through some very hard times of his life and seeing how he is resurrected from that. And then also to hear the backstory of him as a refugee and what that was like uh, coming with his family to America and just seeing how all the pieces seem to fit together. God has a funny way of doing that, it seems. Also, just to see how he and Deja have started this life together. It's been a magical experience. And on that note, there is an update to share because this was recorded in January. And I am now doing this outro in March. And about a week ago, there was a going away party for Sergi and Deja. Because you see, when we discussed plans for the future that he didn't want to go into detail on. Those plans included talks of moving back to the West Coast where he is from in Washington State. It's something Deja was already thinking of doing in her life. And since then, he has talked with his brother and others. And the discussion of working with his brother has gone from working apart to now working closely together. So they're moving out to the West Coast very soon. Probably they will already be there by the time that this is released. 
but we did, as I said, have a going away party for them. And at this going away party, Sergi and Deja surprised us by getting married. So that was really, really awesome to experience. Um, So I'm just looking forward to what they have coming in the future. Until then, keep coming back to our podcast here at Life on Ward. And remember what Shea Bernie says, you do belong, you do exist, at least for now. I do.